0: You are listening to Season 2 of the Humans of AI Stories, Not Stats podcast. A Devi Parikh and Dhruv Padra talk to AI researchers to try and understand who they are as people, what their life is like, what they think about, what they are insecure about, and what they get really excited about. Questions that reveal the stories of their day-to-day life. In this episode, Dhruv talks with Jonathan Bisk, who is an assistant professor at the Language Technologies Institute at CMU. Jonathan talks about his love and fascination for TikTok enjoying the simple moments in life, dealing with failures by talking publicly about them, giving back to society, and lots more. For more information about the podcast and the episodes, you can log on to www.humanstories.ai. And yeah, let's get right into the episode.
1: Hey, Jonathan, How are you? Good, how are you doing? I like the- you've,
2: you've cleaned up dramatically. You no longer look like you're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs>
1: I, I shaved, yes. From the last time you saw me, I did shave. Uh, I, I went through a phase that I call my December uh, <laughs> look, which is, but I think that has nothing to do with the pandemic. I go through that. Every oh,
2: okay. Time. <laughs> I see. I see. I think Jesse, at one point we were, I guess we were on a call or something to get, I don't remember where he saw you as well. And he was like, oh, I like it. I the like that Dhruva's just decided, you know what? I'm just going to own it. Like, you know, that this 2020 sucks and I don't care.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> and uh, I think by the time November 2020 came around, I had hit that mindset, but I was ready to call it done. And um, mentally, I was checked out. So I went, to, like, I knew I was actually done according to my calendar, like maybe December 10th. And so I was still going to into the first week of uh, December into meetings saying, look i'm sorry but i'm just not here mentally like i'm yeah. you can you can see it on my face
2: <laughs> yeah exactly i i still haven't done uh the the haircut so i don't i haven't had hair this long since high school and um i used to i mean i used to have like down down to my, to my shoulders and then it, at some point when the hairdresser all closed it was like well what am i gonna do and so i just i just left it and now i can't it's like it's in this place where it's like I don't know, I guess maybe I can go back to a hairdresser, maybe not. It's just long enough now that if I really try, I can sort of make a bun for it. So then it's kind of okay
1: looking. You're at that stage where you can just power through. Go for it, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But then it's sort of, I feel like I've just like cliched myself into professor life. What'd you do your first year of professor? Oh, I grew hair long. I also probably need to have grown a beard this year, just so I can just like completely, you know, Wear t-shirts everywhere and be a cliche. Um, no, yeah. I'll clean up.
1: Either that, or you could, you know, go down the goth route, go full heavy metal, like just.
2: So after I had the long hair in high school, the next thing I did is I cut most of it back, but I kept the bangs to the side. So I had like an emo kind of thing where it was just covering one eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a really long time to slowly get my bangs higher and higher it was like i would so i'd worked so hard as a kid to get bangs past my eyes that the idea of like cutting them shorter and like losing that and then having to like ever do it again I was, like, I was like i can't give up on this i have those long bangs i must keep those long bangs um but yeah i don't know what the next stage is for me I
1: think I've already received uh, answers to a couple of questions I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is excellent. <laughs> but maybe we can maybe we can officially begin. Um, sure. So, Jonathan Bisque, welcome to <laughs> Humans of AI. Um, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for thank you for agreeing to participate. Um, so the. The rules of the game are, um, I have a sequence of questions for you. Some are light and may not require much thought. Others may require a bit more consideration. So take, feel free to take your time um, and pause to think. If you want to skip a question, we can do that. But when in doubt, if you can err on the side of being open, transparent, vulnerable, we'd appreciate it. Sound good? Sure. Yeah, of course. OK, so what were you doing right before
2: this call? oh well that's not hair related um no <laughs> um I, so what i was doing right before this call is that i just ordered this little kit to um it's like a little stand for raspberry pi camera and so i was just looking at all the little acrylic pieces and I was gonna try to I was trying to decide if I had enough time to put this together or if I no longer had the dexterity to do something this tiny quickly. And so I um I opted on the side of of waiting. But that I was unboxing it and looking through it. That's what I was up to. My this is my we're at my work desk right now, and this is my fun desk. I, I think
1: you're, so, you're taking the robo part of robo NLP very seriously. <laughs>
2: it's this is fun, and the great thing is, I highly recommend this to other people. That are particularly if we're going to continue to do pandemic stuff for like a while, this two desks set up in a in a spinny chair means that anytime I need to disconnect from work, all I have to do is rotate, and now I'm in I'm in Toyland. Mm. So um, so yeah, I, I I've been doing this parallel thing. So so before this, I had a small break, and so I was in Toyland.
1: Sounds good. Um, what's your daily routine like? Um,
2: it's, I specifically pushed back, I used to have more early morning meetings pre-pandemic, but I decided in, in, in this uh, year to have slightly later starts. So um, I pushed everything back a little bit. So for the most part, my days don't start until like 10. And so that means that I don't set an alarm and I wake up whenever my body decides it's time to wake up <laughs> and uh, and then I, Check Slack to make sure nothing burnt down, and um, and then slowly go downstairs, make coffee, and I <laughs> and then I sit on the couch and drink my coffee while scrolling TikTok um, for for a little bit, um, and then uh, and then and then head up to work. So t- TikTok is probably going to be a recurring um, theme in this discussion. <laughs> um i've decided it is the best social media platform in existence and so um i uh yeah so that's that's how i spend my morning it's some combination of coffee breakfast and and uh, tick scrolling i also check to make sure that no you know again nothing is burnt down i look at slack and emails to make sure things are okay but
1: yeah. Forget the rest of your day. Tell me more about TikTok. Like, <laughs> what's quite-
2: seriously? Here's the thing about TikTok. Okay, I've got like a lot of thoughts on TikTok, but, but the most from but from like a slight AI person perspective, part of what I think is fascinating about it is that you it's a totally different model. Um, so you don't you can follow people like I I follow some friends. Um, I'm gonna all out maybe like so like Yejin is on on uh, on TikTok, she doesn't really post, but she's so like, but she follows me. And so we like, you know, we, and then we send each other TikToks back and forth. And then because of the messages being sent or like also just the amount of time you spend watching. So if you watch a video more than once, like all these sort of little subconscious habits, the the algorithm caters to you. And so it's this very wonderfully passive experience where you're just like, oh, it turns out that apparently I spend a little bit longer watching some of these types of videos and then I just get more of that. I didn't like have to really search for it. And so like, and then based off your sharing preferences. So like I send her fancy cocktail making TikToks and things like this. And then you get even fancier cocktail making <laughs> TikToks and you're like, oh, that's cool. Or like really pretty coffees. We were like, I had no idea you could make a coffee that was that pretty. So um, yeah, so it's like this really nice um, escape for um, and, and to sort of all these other parts of people's lives. There's this really cool, I, I can do this for, for the entire hour, so I will stop, but like on a nerdy side for a second, there's um, several scientists and other workers down at the um, South Pole who have TikToks. And so they just document things in their lives and then people ask them questions and then they go and answer them. So they're like, I mean, some of them are like silly things. They're like, wait a second, if it's negative 80 degrees outside, how long does it take for a cup of water to freeze? He's like, I don't know. So he like fills up a cup of water and goes and puts it outside, <laughs> and then like, or like the the sun has set now, which means it's set for like six months. And so like, what is it like to like watch your final sunset? Um, and then like what? Is, and so anyways, it's like this kind of thing where it's like you're I'm teleported into for a brief moment into some very totally different. Um, part of the world. There's nothing work related. It's just sort of fun. And um, no, I don't see a lot of people dancing, though mm-hmm. that isn't the the, the classic uh, TikTok experience.
1: Fascinating. I, I particularly like the fact that you can almost pseudo run experiments by asking others to, you know, in a place that you wouldn't normally have access to. So that's, that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, it's a very cool, cool little ecosystem. So mm-hmm. anyway. I'm not pay, not a paid sponsorship by tech, but if you, but if they, but if ByteDance, if you're interested, I think there's some cool multimodal research we could be doing there.
1: I'm sure so they watch this. Yeah, we don't have that much reach. <laughs> is that the favorite part of your day? What is the favorite part of your day? Um,
2: it's, it really shifts around. I think, I think that the favorite part, So I've been doing a couple of like little test things. So we like restructured our group meetings recently. So Emma, Estrubel and I do meetings because we figured we have small groups and they can learn from each other and stuff like this. And, uh, And we restructured them to be handout based. So it's not like a research update. It's just sort of like, you know, is there something you learned recently you thought would be fun to talk about, something like this. And it has made the whole experience just a lot more casual and a lot more fun, a lot more like hanging out um, than uh, than we had had before. Hmm. And so, like, a student a student came in the other day and he was like, "Hey, like, here's this thing that I do for fun, you know? Like, I have this hobby, and I just realized that, you know, there was a bunch of stuff online about it, and I thought, like, maybe there's research in this, you know? Like, maybe I can turn something that I enjoy into..." And and then it just turned into like a brainstorming session for like 30 minutes where other students were like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. And like, oh yeah, I also play that game or I also do whatever else. Um similarly for like uh I'm teaching a class right now, which is project based, and I decided to turn some of the classes into just um like meeting hours where like the students can come and just like brainstorm about their projects and so anyway, I know that's kind of worky stuff, but but it but it's it I think that it's the kind of thing which wouldn't feel like a big deal in normal life but in this life is like it's like really nice to have that kind of unstructured time um with everyone um and so so that's been that's been super super great um outside of that my um i don't know what my favorite time is outside of that i think we have we have a few like sort of familial rituals right like we do we have a couple of um so my my wife is very good about like being more um, schedule oriented than I am. And so that means that I, I tend to be very careful about things hitting like the six o'clock mark, which I think is healthy and like and like really good um, because this stuff can kind of bleed over. And so part of what that means is that like, and I do all the cooking. And so it, the six o'clock mark is important because depending on what I'm cooking and if she's going to be hungry by 6.30, then actually sometimes it's more like a five- 5 30 and you know like we have to like sort of adjust and so so yeah so i think like we 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 cook um or i cook and then um and then we eat and we chat and then also like taking taking little walks um these are like really simple things and like i feel so it feels kind of silly because like they didn't they're the kinds of things that didn't feel like as big of a deal a year ago
0: um
2: but, but i feel like going for um, we try to do like a daily or every other day coffee, for example. So we'll mm-hmm. like go for a walk to a local coffee shop and just get something to go. And like these kinds of things are like really quite nice in a way that um, you used to take more for granted. <laughs> it feels depressing to say like, "Ooh, we walked a coffee," but um, yeah, yeah outdoors.
1: And and I, I I can relate to that. And then like it's the, it's the little things that give you joy on a day to day basis, right? Not the not the earth shattering or Rare moment.
2: It's also more into those good points where we get to actually like. It's not that we can't talk more. I'm sure. I'm sure she can hear me right now, and she's probably like, he's really I'm very loud. Um, but um, I think that you're in a slightly different mode when you're walking, and so like I feel like we you know different topics come up when you're when you're sort of on a walk than mm-hmm. when you're like sitting sitting at dinner. Um, and so it's sort of like. We, like, sometimes if we're sitting at dinner and talking, it's, uh, you know, oftentimes it's things like, all right, well, what else do we have to accomplish this week? Are there any other errands? There's like, it's like more of that kind of chatter and a little bit less sort of like how you do in chatter. Hmm. And I feel like on walks, you do a little bit more how you do in chatter. And so that's, that's quite nice. Yeah.
1: What's the, what's the least favorite part of your day?
2: Mm. DARPA meetings? Uh, no. <laughs>
1: That I can promise you, we probably do have the reach of. Like, I'm sure there's a Dafa PM we could get in touch with to show this video to. Um, I.
2: now what is the least favorite part of my? Um, I don't, I don't know. And this is definitely one of these bad things where I. It's not that things aren't bad. Like, lots of things are bad. Um, but I tend, but I, but I have, I'm very forgetful when it comes to bad things. It's is like a weird personality trait. I realized at some point where, um, if something really sucks, I like tend to forget about it and then, so that I don't have to like it. So it doesn't weigh me down anymore. And so then I'm always like, oh, everyone's always so nice and everything's always so good. And then like, people are like, really? Cause what about this thing that's happening? You're like, oh, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I think the thing though, the worst part of the day generally is realizing that you, um, or one that I've, I've overcommitted like is it's in it's the moment and it happens almost every single day where i realize oh, i've been going through a bunch of meetings and i've gotten kind of excited about various things that have come up and i started thinking about like oh it'd be really nice to be able to follow up on that like you know i I'd, I'd really want to like we just had a good discussion and it'd be like and, and a student brought up an idea and i was like it's an idea that i'm familiar with but i haven't thought that much about and so i think to myself like and I have a notes file that I take notes after every single student meeting about like how things are going and what things should be followed up on, and so I'll like write down. I'll be like, I should like a hundred percent like spend some time just mulling on this, right? And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, I a hundred percent cannot find the time to sit and mull on this, right? There's no way for me to do that and my TikTok um um <laughs> and, and,
1: and there may be multiple such meetings right you may have gotten excited about two or three such
2: things that's right exactly it sort of starts to compound and then you're kind of like okay this is and so one of the big things my big takeaways actually from and this is maybe a more general comment on first year faculty stuff is that um one of my big takeaways is that i actually do i don't want that to be a lasting problem i want this to be something that i fix and so part of what that means, sorry, collaborators, is that I'm planning to decrease a bunch of collaborations because I don't feel like it's not that they aren't fascinating, but I don't feel like my students are getting as much of that sort of like um, out of meeting, you know contemplation time that they, you know, I would like to be investing because I'm context switching to you know to some other you know responsibility or some other, you know, Whatever thesis committee or whatever I might be, and I I like all those things, which is what makes it hard. Um, but I think it's like it's like learning that I have to do this prioritization within the things I like, right? It's like I like my stu- <laughs> again, it feels weird saying this all a lot. I like my students most. Sorry, everyone else. <laughs> you're, you're like, and then and then I, and I need to like you know I need to to do that. And then similarly with like you get really excited about service things, right? You're like, oh, there's like some really cool stuff I could do in terms of structure of the department or other kinds of things. And you're like, okay, but like, again, I like my students more. So I need to like moderate that. And so, so I think the worst part of the day is sort of when you're doing that accounting afterwards and you're like, I've just put in a full day. I feel good about all the meetings that I had. And then you're thinking about all the things you'd like to be able to now do. And then you realize you sort of can't because you have a whole nother full day. So like when you know, if you're gonna cook dinner and take some amount of time off or stuff like this, like when are you gonna do that That thinking and, and you, you've just run out of hours. So it means some reprioritization. So I've been thinking a lot about that. As a more general note, if anyone is watching and they're junior faculty and wanna talk about these kinds of things, I'm more than happy to do that. I feel like this, there's, this is like one of those things which is like hopefully learn from others' mistakes. Yeah.
1: and. Uh... To be honest, I'm I'm really uh, impressed and happy for you that you're catching this early because uh, it can almost feel like you can get trapped into a cycle of increasing collaborations, and it's not till you know several years later where you realize that you've you've gotten yourself permanently trapped in that in that
2: cycle. So I, I wish you well in this endeavor. Thank you. <laughs> in my in my pruning process, yeah.
1: So on the on the note of like trying not to over schedule. Um, are you a planner or do you operate more on gut feeling over the floor?
2: Um, I am this is one of these things that I think is a fascinating question because I think it is a, um, I think it's super, um it's a, it's a super subjective answer. So I have this question, I have some version of this thought a lot um, with with other people. I am a I consider myself to be pretty easygoing except when I'm hanging out with easygoing people who think that I am a pretty intense planner.
1: Hmm. So
2: so so I And, and I does, a, does
1: the converse yeah. happen? Do you find yourself hanging out with planners who think you're just yeah, a so, slacker?
2: Right. So my in particular my wife thinks that I am a complete Airhead who doesn't keep track of anything, so so Mm -hmm. it's yes I I think it's sort of it's one of those things where I think we're we're, we we all have other people in our lives who are more or less structured than us and then Mm -hmm. and so we we we're trying to find our our space there are there are I I have aspects of my life where I feel like they have to be messy. And I think creative things are like this. So like this desk is a total mess. <laughs> like, it, like it sort of just has to be, if this was organized, I feel like I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to get anything done. Um, But then there's other places which are incredibly organized. So like I was noting that um, I have a spreadsheet which lists every single responsibility that I have to do with uh, day level countdowns to all of them. And then I have a row for every student and there's a column it's like a google sheet that's set up and so then every weekly meeting there's notes that are filled in for that we add another one and then we can see how things are progressing or not progressing through time and when deadlines are met or changed then they get moved into the archive section of the sheet so then i can then do a look back and see what things were actually so like there are things that are like super crazy organized and then there's like creativity which which i feel like sort of can't be um, and so it, it kind of depends on what aspect of my life we're 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 dealing with, if, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, then, do you end up struggling with procrastination?
2: Um, constructive procrastination? Yeah, I'm always doing something constructive, um, or like besides for TikTok, um, but but for for the for the most part, it's. So for example, one thing that I'm doing right now, um, is that I got, so Emma and I are designing a new course for the fall Mm. and like, that is just this crazy fun new idea. And so that means that anytime I have a moment, it's like, well, what if I, what if I start, you know, lesson planning? What if I start doing some of the prep for the projects for that? Right. And it's like totally constructive, but it is also definitely not what needs to get done right now. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's that's mostly what happens is or like I and I'm happy about all the things I do so like I, the other thing I I guess a couple months ago now I realized that my website wasn't um didn't meet accessibility standards and, and so there were a whole bunch of problems. You like I had put alt text on images, but I, I didn't realize, for example, that you should put a tag that indicates the language of the um, a page so that screen readers and stuff like this can sort of function properly. There's like a whole bunch of this stuff. And so um, I spent like every evening, for probably like a week, just like redoing large chunks of my website to make it everything as sort of as compliant as I could. And it's like, I'm glad that I did. Like, I feel like that's like a good positive thing also probably not if someone was like what's the most important thing you could be doing this week with your extra time it was like definitely not that mm. so so that's that's more the kind of procrastination that i tend to do it tends to be of this form where i i decide that there's something else that is going to get upweighted that clearly doesn't need to be upweighted right now but seems more fun than whatever um i'm currently <laughs> i re- yeah there's a whole list of these things so like i i can just keep going on of these like sort of side projects that were like I think are good, but they're just not. They're not the priority.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, are you competitive, Yonatan?
2: I used to be. Um, I you I used to be more so, and at some point, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but at some point, um, I decided that that was not fruitful. Um, I think that there's I think the competitive takes two forms. So I think that there are things that I do that would be viewed as competitive. Mm. So, for example, like, do I think that I have a important vision for sort of the direction of the field or something like this, and it involves you know, articulated objects that habitat can't handle. Um, no, <laughs> no, like, you know, like, so do I have strong opinions about things? Sure, but but competitive is sort of different, I think, to me, because competitive is sort of like, I need to win because it's me or mm. something like this. And 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 that that isn't, that's sort of, I'm trying to figure out how to, I, I want I'm trying to figure if there's a politically correct way to say this. Um, I mean, okay, I'll just say it like this. That's my father. <laughs> like, you know, like, my, 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 you know, my father views politics, for example, as like, as like sports teams, you know, like he has his team, and, um, and he needs to win no matter what. And so his team needs to win. And that means that what he stands for changes with has with his team, you know, mm. and, and and stuff like this. So I watched that for a really long time. And I and, and initially I, I said the reason I used to be competitive is that I think that when you're born into a system like that, you 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 sort of default into like, well, this is kind of the norm. This is the sort of role modeling that I had. And so like he took he took um, a leaning to the right and I took a leaning to the left, and those became Um, um, we became sort of archetypes for that. And that was the nature of our debates. And that's who we were in this kind of like, uh, my team versus your team kind of way. Um, and, uh, at some point it basically became clear that, that, that it was hard to be competitive and still maintain an identity. So the person that I, (laughs) this is maybe a weird psychoanalyzing of myself slash father, but like, um, I watched him drift. And like now believes things that he would never his former self would never have believed and I don't mean in a positive uh, sense, because the official party guidelines shifted. And so therefore he had to shift because the team shifted and 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 that was really uncomfortable to me, or it is uncomfortable to me to sort of have seen all of that, um, versus sort of being evidence-based or whatever else and being like, oh, okay, well, I was just wrong. And so it's taken me a really long time. Again, I'm not going to admit, th- I'm not going to say that I'm good at this, but um, a lot and lot of practice of saying I'm sorry and I'm wrong, like right. I messed up, and and there and trying to therefore break me of the notion of being competitive or being right. right. Like sure, it's nice to be right. But I think the main thing is that, like, if you know, if I say whether it's research or whether it's you know someone's experience or human rights or whatever it might be, if someone shows me evidence that indicates that I was wrong, like, then I just have, I just need to admit that and I need to change, right? I mean, like, I think that's like, and and so and so that means I think it's very hard to be competitive and maintain a healthy attitude about about um, being wrong. Mm -hmm. And so uh, maybe that's like a longer complicated answer, but, but that's, so I think that's kind of where I'm hopefully making progress on and hopefully we'll continue to make sort of progress on, um, and, and, and decoupling that from any sense of self. So this is, I think, related to this question of sort of like, you know, do, do, do you experience regret? I think this is like another one of these, um, um, these similar kinds of questions. And I always, you know, claim that what I'm trying to do is, is, is live up to a notion that I, that I don't, because you can, if the person that made the decision had no, like that you did at that time, hadn't did it to the best of their ability, then you can't regret the decision. Like you, you Mm -hmm. did what you, you know? And so I feel like it's sort of the same thing with competitiveness and other than being wrong and stuff like this. Right. Like, like. That person doesn't exist anymore. That person that was me five years ago, um, you know, maybe I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but like I also sort of can't feel too bad about it because that's not sort of helpful. The most, the main, the the only thing that's helpful is to figure out what was necessary for me to change so that I maintained that, and then also if I was trying to explain or, you know, help others um, uh, through these things. I don't know. That's kind of a not sure how well this stream of consciousness is articulated but hopefully makes sense
1: It it does uh and i I, one quote that i came across that resonates with a lot of what you're saying is uh it's more important to be right than have been right which means that if you come across a piece of evidence that shows you otherwise then well just think of yourself after that piece of evidence and now you've found the truth it's not important that you were there all along so yeah see what you're saying. So is there a a rejection or a failure that hurt particularly bad?
2: Um, I mean, I'm sure, but per my comment from earlier about forgetting negative things, (laughs) um, I tend to, the way I tend to deal with failure is publicly. Mm. Um, So um, any. For the most part, I mean, this is, I guess this is a little different in like the social media internet era. I mean, publicly, mostly in the sense of uh, humans around me kind of way. So for example, um, I, so when I applied to um, like undergrad, I got into one place I got waitlist, which was Texas at Austin, which was very lucky. Um, I got waitlisted from a couple places and rejected by a whole bunch of places. So I went to the, I I didn't stay on the wait list. I went to the, to the, to the state school. Um, And I was super lucky that it turned out that Texas was a very good school for computer science. Like, you know, my, my local state school happened to be very well ranked. Um, And then, um, and then for grad school, I applied to a bunch of places and I got into one place, which was the university of Illinois. And so I went to the university of Illinois. And so I got, and then at university of Illinois, I, in your end of your second year, you do your quals, which are. A pretty at they maybe have changed, but at least at the time were a pretty intense oral exam um, of grilling for a couple of hours, and uh, you know like pr- like it was it was sort of these the kinds of things where it was like you know um, show you know pr- uh, what was it like derive the the necessary convex concave optimization for latent struct SVM you know on the board kind of it, kind of stuff. Right yeah, down yeah, was, and you're like uh, okay this, this is okay. so David
1: Forsyth. <laughs> Uh, yeah. He. Yeah.
2: Um, yes. That um, yeah. <laughs> he, he. He does show up in this story. Um, uh, yeah. So I failed the first. My first uh, when I took the qual. And anyway, so the point of the story is that you know, there's more failures on this on this list, but the, the qual one is I think notable because when I failed, I basically just told everyone in the department I failed. I I was like, I was like, oh yeah, no, I failed. I failed miserably. I only have like six months to prepare to try to do this again or I get kicked out of the PhD program. Um, and slowly, all of these people like started coming out of the woodwork that had also failed. And they were like, and no one would ever talk about it. And everyone, and if you asked anyone, like what percentage of people fail, they'd be like, oh, I think it's very rare for someone to fail. So then I went and I talked to the admin. I was like, how many people fail? And they're like, oh, like 50% of people fail every every time. I'm like, 50%? Because I don't know anybody but me, and I've been taught, you know, like, and so slowly I like get all these others, and we get these stories together, and then I basically created like almost like a little boot camp where I like prepped people before the qual, and we got like the fail rate way down because I was like super loud about the fact that I had failed everything and how I had failed and what I had to change, and all this kind of stuff, and so um, I, tr- I mean, I'm not again. I'm, I'm sure that there I can be much better about this but um, I tend to I tend to just fail publicly and just assume that that means that like, here's a data point for everyone else you know like FYI like hi I went on the faculty market twice <laughs> Like, you know like that was a failure you know like I yeah we can talk about paper rejections like I think I think that like at each of these stages there's a whole bunch of or even impersonal you know things not just professional things um and then I try to be just reasonably open about them and part of that is because it's easier for me it's much easier than keeping secrets um like what I'm going to tell stories and have a manicured version of my life, it's easier for me to just assume that everyone knows all of my failings. Um, And uh, and then hopefully that's also useful, um, particularly any of these things that would otherwise be kind of secret. So I was. Yeah, I'm very pro kind of openness of this of this kind of stuff and 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 it it hopefully produces some of the kind of impostery kinds of stuff that you have and also even just things like I was really happy when we were on the faculty market like Mark uh, Yaskar had con- contacted me and some other people and asked if we wanted to coordinate on offers mm. and I was like I was like yeah I'm happy to share every detail of everything um, and I think it was like super helpful and it seems like it's you know grown since then other people are doing these kinds of things and it's like because like otherwise, like how are you supposed to know how this system works? Like you mm-hmm. like, how are you supposed to know what's reasonable? Like why, why do we have secrets that just creates it perpetuates a, a, a sort of like who's in the know, who's connected kind of kind of system. So anyway, that was maybe not exactly the answer to your question, <laughs> but, but basically in terms of my failures, I have lots of them and I, I think a lot they all stung really hard in the moment. Um, and the way I've dealt with basically all of them is just by going super public with them.
1: That makes sense. And thank you for thank you for sharing the qual story.
2: Yeah, I don't want to do it again though. <laughs> I don't want to take another qual. I would fail it again. Sorry, Jerry DeYoung. Um, he was my qual chair, and he was um, Ray Mooney's advisor. Um, and he 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 uh, took me to task the first time around, and then David Forsythe took me to task the second time around.
1: Yeah. Is there a so the converse of that question? Is there a achievement or a success that felt particularly good?
2: So the thing that's interesting about that that is that well, the camera's probably sorry? If the camera starts moving, it's because um, the cat. Um, I saw the tail go by. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's decided that she was going to start rubbing up against the monitor. Hi. Um, the interesting thing about that is that um, that's another one of those things where there's the event itself, and then there's the there's the thing that made it feel really good. And, uh, and there's, I think there's sort of in two pieces. So for example, like getting offers, faculty offers was obviously like in terms of recent memory was like a very, very big deal. Um, having my then girlfriend now wife congratulate me was way more sad, emotionally satisfying than the offers themselves were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think, oof, Um, this might be a hard sentence or two. Um, I think, I think that basically, um, there's like, there's like, there's like stuff that, that like feels good. And it was sort of on your ideal trajectory planned path. Um, and then there's like the support from like the people that matter and, uh, and like the support from the people that matter is like, those successes are, don't mean anything if the if the people you know aren't aren't there right and so you know even things like um very recently as in like this week we're trying to figure out like about like buying a home or something like this right and like even though we're married and everything else like when she says something like well you know like if we're gonna end up living in this house for like five or ten years you have that moment of like oh my gosh like oh, that's like you know like and and so it's those are like the, those things like just yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's not to be like really sappy or whatever, but um, those, those are the things that matter like a substantial amount more. And so it's you, you need like the thing to happen in your life so that they can comment on it. But it's the them commenting on it that actually is like the thing that matters. Um, um, not so much the the thing itself, or not as much the thing itself. Yeah, yeah,
1: that,
2: that's, that's right. eloquently said. <laughs> And then cats eating things on your desk. Don't eat that. Sorry. Do you have an,
1: no worries. Do you have an internal monologue?
2: Um. So I I have I have almost an exclusively external monologue, which is maybe what has been evidenced by this whole discussion.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, this uh, is supposed to be largely a one-sided conversation.
2: Yeah, but I mean, but I think that like also these kinds of stories that I'm telling about like failing publicly or whatever else, it's like the way that I deal with things is that I basically just talk about them and I almost basically never talk about them to myself, I talk about them to everyone else. Hmm. Um, so, um, it, um, I probably should spend more time thinking inside my own head, um, but, um, yeah. So I do so so in, in in the so the the actual answer to the question is yes i have an, an an internal monologue but the also answer to the question which i think everyone who knows me realizes is that it's very hard for me to shut up because i tend not to run that internal monologue i tend to just say it and so um then once it's out of my mouth and i hear it i then say like oh is that actually what i think is that actually and it's like and then i have to like reason about the whole thing out out loud uh, my wife's the exact opposite. She does everything internally. And so she, so during this house buying process, every single time that my mood changes about something, I say it, I'm like, Oh yeah, I do. I, th- I think I do like it. Or, oh, maybe I'm writing it off. And she's like, I can't, like I can't, please, please stop. just tell me, make up your mind and then tell me how you feel. And I'm like, I'm, we're currently running the sampling procedure together. Um, and,
1: that is hilarious. Um, you are watching the process unfold live. You, that's you right. may as well be seeing the neurons fire.
2: That's right. And she's like, I don't want to see it. <laughs> go, go figure it out and come back to me.
1: Hey, man, um, transparency. Transparency is a thing. It's a virtue. That's why
2: I said it. I'd rather not have secrets. It's much easier for me just to assume that everyone knows everything. Then I never have to like, oh, did I tell that person that like, no. it's just Yeah. Much simpler. Yeah.
1: And are you a visual thinker? Do you have pictures, maps, symbols, search trees, movies in your head?
2: Yeah. I, um, generally speaking, that's how I reason about a lot of things. Um, and sometimes that manifests in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in terms of gestures and things like this. Um, it's, it, it, so it, it, it's frustrating sometimes because um, it, it, then you like you have like a thought and you, and you can't articulate it. Um, and so you're like, I don't know what to to use to do this. And I never really spent the time to become artistic. Um, and and sometimes I wish that i that I had. like i'm I'm pretty decent at like vector graphics kinds of programs, um but not with like a, an actual pen and paper. And uh, when we were kids, my, my parents took a very, uh, we took, we had like a sort of gender neutral uh, um, upbringing. So the idea was that um, anything that my sister was exposed to, I was going to be exposed to and vice versa. And so we ended up basically like, so we would both go to art camp together. We both went to like science camp together. Um, Some, you know, she hated one, (laughs) like, you know, I liked whatever. Um, But it meant that it meant that we had this sort of balance. So I did go to like a bunch of like art camps with with her. And I was always jealous of being able to articulate, since there were these kinds of more um, abstract or sometimes, you know, pictographic notions in my brain, I was really jealous of the fact that she could actually like translate that down and sort of out in a way that that uh, that I couldn't. Um, but I talked really quickly and I was pretty decent at talking and that was getting me most of what i wanted but i do sort of still feel like i've, I've missed out on on that and so sometimes you can you you viz things and you're like oh i can like totally picture this in my mind's eye but actually manifesting it is very difficult and describing it is quite difficult And so mm. i do like computer programs help a little bit in that regard like drawing straight lines is easier on a computer um but um mm. but yeah so it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of a mix but that's but generally generally speaking i i do really like pictographic um, visual like and visualizations of things more so than words. I don't really like reading.
1: Are you happy with the number of close friends you have?
2: So this is one of these really interesting, um, Um, the short answer is, I think, yes. The longer answer is I've always struggled with the, the, um, I've struggled with the definition of close. Hmm. So it's very easy for me. So I consider everyone my friend always. And, and so I will... (laughs) I will come back from a coffee shop and and I've like talked to the barista for like five minutes and I'll be like oh I have this new friend like I'm like I'm like a five-year-old right who's like everyone is their new friend that's like how I operate in this world and um and and I love this and so like in Urbana at one point I somehow just ended up always on the same lady's bus route for like for like almost a month and so like she and I chatted every single day. I w- we were checking in on the status of her pregnancy, like how things were going. Like we were like, I was recommending cooking things to her and she was talking about like some new foods that her doctor just told her she couldn't, whatever. And like, and so I would come home and then I would be like, oh yeah, no, I just had a great chat with, you know this lady, she's my friend. And then like everyone else was like, she's not your friend. Like are you going to go hang out and i'm like i don't know if she invited me to hang out i'd hang out does that make us friends and um <laughs> and so um and so like close friends i think is sort of this thing where it's like oh well, these are the people that have like s- stood the test of time maybe or something like this but even that is sort of shifts so like the people who were that i talked to the most at any one point in my life have have changed and um, and they potentially or probably will again. And then that thought is super emotionally depressing to me because then I'm thinking about like, am I going to lose this friend? And so I think I think the answer is like, do I feel like there's a reasonable number do I have do I feel good about the number of close friends I have? Yes, in that I have enough close friends, both in and outside of academia that I feel like I have, Um, circles that I can escape, you know, out of this world and I have people that I can talk to in this world and, um, or people that were in this world and have left this world and have, you know, justifiable complaints about it and things like this. And so, so I have what I would consider sort of a a sufficiently nice uh, support network of people that I can sort of tap into depending on kind of what headspace um, I need to, to be in. Um, But I also um, sort of, always feel like there is something I, I never have that I've I've always lost something. So like in grad school, my first two years, um, I didn't know anybody and I was like figuring my way through. And my default was not actually to befriend the computer scientists. My default was to go find normal people. And so um
1: we're normal. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, there was nothing wrong with computer scientists, but it was it was sort of that was my that was work. I mm-hmm. needed something. I needed I needed another circle that wasn't work people. And um and so that was mostly um people that were MFAs. So it was mm-hmm. mostly people that were doing their masters in fine arts. And so I used to go to all the exhibitions and hang out in the studios with them and stuff like this. And I don't have that anymore. You know like I still know those people. But like we've drifted apart. They, you know, their job market is super hard, and they're trying to do art in all different kinds of places. And I don't catch up with them. And so when you say like, am I happy with the number of close friends? Like, yeah. But do I feel like I'm? Do I always sort of feel like I'm? I'm missing something. Like, like at various points in my life, did I have a group of close friends that were that were, you know, different from me in an important way that I no longer have? Like that, I think is also true. And I and I worry sometimes about narrowing i yeah. worry that too many of my friends have phds like that that feels that feels like a problem that feels like the kind of thing that leads to potentially insular thinking that's the kind yeah. of thing that's going to make me a less empathetic person in the long run that means that leads you know that too many of them are in tech that means that i'm getting a skewed worldview like mm-hmm. things like this and so um and so i'm happy with with all my friends but i'm also always a little bit worried that i'm that I'm becoming, um, I'm i I'm bubbling mm-hmm. in a way that 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 is that if I'm not careful, might eventually turn me into something that I don't like, right? Mm-hmm. That I that I might be kind become the kind of person that I that I currently think is is not is not not a good thing to be. Mm-hmm. So, kind of yeah. maybe complicated answer. <laughs>
1: yeah, makes sense. How do you imagine your retirement?
2: For a very long time, I've imagined I would never retire. Hmm. Um, if you asked me when I was a kid, long before I knew what I was going to be doing, I said that, um, the, like I was going to die at my desk someday. and I was really excited about this idea
1: because when you were a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I was weird kid. Um, I thought, I thought like it would be so cool to, cause you know, you would see these like, these totally fictional portrayals of like scientists and things like this. And I thought like, oh, if I was doing something so awesome that it would, that I would just like want to be there every day. And then some, and like, I would just do it until someday I croaked and I just couldn't do it anymore. What an amazing life that would be. Um not sure that's the healthiest attitude. Um, but <laughs> damn it, damn it. <laughs> um, so uh, so I hadn't really thought about retirement until pretty recently. Um, and I don't think that I will ever retire. Um, or let me rephrase that. I might leave, I might retire from a job and and into something else. But I suspect that what I, what my, I've been, I've been having this conversation a lot with my parents and my grandparents. And retirement now, I don't think makes sense in the way that it used to like 50 years ago Hmm. because people live substantially longer. And so, you know, my parents are in their 60s and 70s, my grandparents in like, you know, 80s and 90s. and uh they're retired but like um my grandparents now have been retired for i don't know 30 years mm. my parents will probably be retired for like 20 or 30 years like, i don't want to sit on a beach and they don't want to sit on a beach for 20 30 years so what do you do instead and i think what you do is you use that time um so ho- hopefully you're you know living your life the way you're to the best as you can and to, before that but you use that time if you can afford to um, to do the things that you can't afford now for example the um, conversation i've been having with my mom is she's a lawyer she's like well if i have enough money to be retired then i have enough money to do pro bono law for the next 30 years hmm. right these are there's a ton of people who can't afford a lawyer i don't need the money so therefore i should you know, try to rebalance society a little bit by, by being that person. And so I feel like, I don't know what that looks like for me yet, but I feel like that's kind of the same answer, right. right? Is sort of like, for those of us who are, you know, lucky enough to be, you know, drawing, you know, comfortable salaries. We're very well educated. We're very well connected. Um, you know, we obviously should be giving back now. And I think hopefully as academics, we're, you know, that's part of why we're even doing this in the first place, but, um, But for sure, if we're at a point where we literally don't need to draw a salary again for the rest of our lives, then that feels like that's the point at which we really need to switch sort of philanthropically. And so maybe that means, you know, teaching at lots of local schools, doing lots of local um, enrichment programs, um, you know, helping with, um, you know, test prep i don't you know i don't know exactly what what that will look like or how what's the most effective way for for me to use my position or my education um but but that's kind of what i think of in terms of what what retirement is retirement is if you no longer if you if you as the well-educated person that you are no longer need to draw a salary what can you now do in terms of social benefit because you don't have to worry about capitalism
1: yeah, yeah, makes sense.
2: So I mean, the, the thing that I love about this, to be totally honest, like is I don't want to like because I feel like there's a there's like there's a natural criticism here that someone listening, it, which is like, oh, this is all felt fine and good for, you know, kid in his 30s to say or whatever. Um, like we'll see if he lives it. And that's part of why I think it's important to be super loud and about and like open about everything, right? Is that like I do really want there to be accountability right so if someone were to show up so if i was if i'm 60 and someone's listening to this and they're like well he's 60 like what's he gonna do like i think they should just basically knock on my door and be like all right buddy what altruistic things are you doing you know like how are you how, you know like how are you spending your time and your money um and 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 not and then from my perspective in terms of personal growth right is to make sure that like i at no point take any offense to that question mm-hmm. right like is it um I don't i don't want to like get into a place of complacency where i'm like uh, you know not willing to change or not willing to live up to the sort of ideals i mean like we never live up to our ideals maybe but we at least work towards them um and so so i, I think having very public conversations about these things and then having public friendly notions of accountability is also important um, on every aspect of you know this job in our lives
1: it sounds like you, actively think about shaping the behavior of your future self by making commitments that will keep your future self on the hook and accountable. Do, do you think of your future self as a person you need to control separate from yourself?
2: Um, yeah, in a, in a, in a sense, I, I do. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot about I think a lot about complacency. I think a lot about, I think, I think a lot about structures of power and privilege and how they perpetuate and how easy it is, um, to, um, when looking after oneself or one's, you know, closest family to, um, to slip into, into that perpetuation. And so, um, I have a game that I've played with myself and my friends, and we don't have to play it, but I have a game that I played for, for, for many years now where I ask, What's something that you think someday you'll be a conservative about? And the point of the game is once you figure out what that is, you get to start working on it now so that that day never comes.
1: I've I've played this game. I I've, I've thought not not a, not phrased like that, but I've, yeah. I've thought of this question because i I also grew up believing what is my what, what is the generation of my kids possibly going to rebel against me for? I am right. liberal like I'm, you know, sure yeah. consenting adults you can do whatever you want. And like I think it finally came down to something like um sci- interhuman cyborg relationships or human robot relations. I was like that feels weird. Like and I could totally see myself making the same kinds of arguments that other people have. I'd be like, "Oh, I need to work on this."
2: So as long as as long as your thing is always sufficiently far in the future, it's probably okay. But but I think there's actually some ones that, and I'm not necessarily saying for you, but but when I talk with people, there's a lot of ones that when you when we start to dig into them, are are pretty local. So for example, like to take one that I think is probably not that controversial, but probably affects us all. I think we all in name are aware of global warming and climate change and want to take drastic changes. But I think there's we all have probably some pretty conservative lines that we're not willing to cross in terms of our own personal comfort in order to to make that change. And now, I'm not saying that this is like actually going to happen tomorrow, but like if if like socially, if we had a mandate that came down from the top, we're like, all right, we're going to fundamentally change stuff. So like conferences, no there's no travel in the future period. Like we're basically been, we're like vacations. Um, like if you can get there via uh, electric car, fine, but we're not taking, you know, I think there's a lot of us who are sufficiently privileged that we would be like, no, like you've crossed some sort of line that we wouldn't be able to cross. Now we can discuss whether or not that's actually a fair thing, but I think that there are a lot of these kinds of like things where we say, oh yeah, I'm totally fine with basically any change for green energy. But what we mean is, I think I have enough money that I can offset the bad behavior that I plan to keep doing. Mm. And so that will keep it balanced. But if I actually had to change my behavior, I would, I would basically be that loud conservative saying you're taking away my rights and you're taking away my freedom or something like this. Right. Mm. Um, And so I think there's like a lot of these, these (laughs) kinds of things, and I'm not at all trying to point you know, finger, I think that I'm you know, I'm certainly guilty of some of this myself, but yeah, I play this game a lot because I think a lot about like how you know, like climate change may fundamentally restructure society over the course of the next 10 years. And you know, if I buy a house that has you know, natural gas in it or whatever else, at some point, I probably maybe right now should just spend the extra money to remove that. You know, like and and but the, but then there's that part of you is like, oh but like why should I have to do that if other people in society aren't taking us for you know like and it's like okay well then you that's a conversation I need to have with myself about accountability with myself. And again I'm not even claiming to be even remotely good or perfect at oh Google thinks I was talking to it. I'm not talking to you Google. Um but um Oh, sh- sh- Stop! 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 No! Stop talking.
1: It's it's fine. I can't hear it anything. It may be dis- it may be disruptive to you, but I, I can't hear. It. Okay. okay.
2: Google just said I found you a result on how to be happy with money. <laughs> um, and then it started going off. Um, which, but uh, anyway, so you know I, I play this game a lot, and so yes, I do think about sort of guardrails. I know that I'm failing in various ways right now there are things that I do that are good there are things that I do that are that are not sufficiently Um, and then I think a lot about like, how do I make sure I don't get worse, and then ideally, where are the places where I would hopefully get better and then also trying to be still like lenient with so as much as I want myself and everyone to change quickly realizing that generational change and other things like this do take some amount of time so what is a reasonable leeway and so i t- i tend to think about this in terms of like 5 or 10 year kinds of things what does my group look like in 5 years um what is sort of that my carbon footprint look like in 5 years and maybe i don't meet those goals but then that means in 5 years i do need to have a check in where i reevaluate yeah
1: okay um, do you think there's a point to life and our existence
2: um I grew up in a very religious household. And so when I hear that question I I immediately flip into that mode and then I say no. Hmm. Because that's a, a that's a that's a uh an a community that I that I left. Hmm. Um but if I hear that question for for uh more generally, more open-ended and not in the sort of with the trappings of like, you know, the answer being God or something like this, then I think that my answer is closer to um, the point of life and existence is to improve the life and existence of other people. And, you know, hopefully not hate it on the way. So don't be a total martyr maybe, but like that's, 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 that's the point because there is, because the answer to the first question was no, there is no there is no um, afterlife, there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no punishment, there is no reward. So the only thing is that when you're on your deathbed, you get to look back and, and evaluate whether or not you think that people will remember you fondly. And the way that people will do that is if you may improved as many lives as you can. And so take this time and you try to do that. And so hopefully you feel good about yourself when you're lying there.
1: Good enough onto onto even more philosophical things pineapple topping on pizza yummy or abomination
2: um as it may may come as no surprise to say i'm unwilling to call basically anything an abomination um <laughs> i personally am only okay with pineapple on a pizza if it is also combined with barbecue sauce mm. Um, I think that it needs, um, other flavors to counter, you know, and balance it. Um, but this is probably because though I have not been tested for this, I suspect I might be a super taster and I find a lot of flavors very intense that other people do not.
1: Fascinating. So,
2: um, that means that my experience of, for example, the one that I'm famous for is that I find celery to be quite spicy. Huh. And other people are like celery literally has no flavor Yeah. or <laughs> if you, okay. But I, I contend that if you juice it, you would taste that it is spicy. I think a juiced celery is very spicy. Um, <laughs> but but, but
1: it's not what, I, what could possibly yeah. be the mechanism that would explain someone like me uh, experiencing spiciness when it's juiced, but not when it's solid.
2: Oh, I think because it's, because it's so much more concentrated. I think that the, I think the celery juice is so much more concentrated that maybe you would notice it mm. or one would notice it um I like spicy things but but that's one of those kinds of things where like oftentimes when we're cooking I'll like I'll start grinding something and I'll be like oh gosh that's an intense smell and then and then like show it to like whoever I'm with and they'll be like what and then like so um, so that may be informing my pineapple uh, experience I think pineapple is one of those quite strong flavors um and so you need some other things to kind of to, te- to temper it um but i but i um with all due respect to the italians um no no one owns any one dish or cuisine it's all it's all shared and so if people like it they can do whatever they want to the pizza
1: hmm. So uh, by by inference, by you, you know, you one would deduce that you do not believe in cultural appropriation. either.
2: Um, cultural appropriation. So ooh, this is a, this is like a this is like a really big question you just asked. Um, there is a difference between um, remixing something, appreciating something and appropriating something. Mm. So um, appropriation oftentimes takes the form of vilifying a community for some aspect of their culture and then taking their culture and then profiting or making it your own. Mm. That I think is bad. You cannot persecute people for their pizza and then get rich off of pizza. Um, Though that is what we in the United States do to basically every minority group, um, we being a bunch of white people um appreciation and remixing and stuff like this is good so mm-hmm. praising people and and elevating them for their culture and their cultural identities and then being inspired by their spices or their mixes or their music or whatever else and um and and you know building it into your own with appropriate um um uh notes of sort of you know, homage and respect and everything else, I think is fine. But it, it does have to be done um, appropriately and carefully. Yes. Um, and it's very and you can't you can't claim that you're doing the latter if your society is doing the former. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was a sense. that's a big question. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no I, And I didn't mean to spring it up as like a gotcha question or anything. That's not the intent of any of this. You
2: know? No, no, I understand. I
1: understand. What is some of the best advice that you've gotten or given or would, would give to your students, your nieces, nephews, kids, next generation?
2: Um, so for students, my favorite piece of advice is the one that came from, from uh, Jerry uh, DeYoung to me um, when I was having a really hard time um, being okay with publishing. I basically felt like anything that I was going to put together was not going to be complete. I was like, you know, like there's no, there's no manuscript that's ever ready. It, it, it could always have more experiments. It could, you know, I, I could also, you know, and the second that you submit it, you've already started thinking about something else. So by the time you present it at the conference, you think it's outdated and not interesting. So, and he said, it's, you know, you're viewing publication the completely wrong way said, every paper is just raising your hand once in a conversation with the community.
1: Hmm.
2: And sometimes you'll try to raise your hand and the community will say, nope, you're not ready. Um, um, oftentimes you'll raise your hand successfully and people will listen and then not change on it. But if you get, if you raise your hand enough times, if you're able to raise your hand enough times then you you get to start steering the conversation. Um, and, and that, I think is nice and I think about this also in terms of other aspects of whether it's you know voting and local elections or whether it's donations and various charities and stuff like this is sort of understanding that like there's always an issue there's always a paper that that you're trying to do or there's some or there's a a bill that needs to be overturned or there's an election that needs to be won but there's sort of this maybe slightly there's like this lifetime level thing which is like what you want to see the scientific community change or what you want to see society move and that's like the important conversation and if you if this hand raised didn't wasn't successful or that whatever like um that sucks but also like Um, the sort of perspective that like uh, that's also not a victory if you did successfully get it like you know just because you got that paper in is not like what matters is whether or not that conversation is shifting whether or not we're moving society in the direction we want it to whether or not we you're actually pushing academia um, whether on social issues or on a scientific issue in a a positive um, uh, direction or in a direction that you think is important and so it's like that kind of I, I really liked that sort of analogy of, of like sort of raising your hand it's like you that's you, no one would ever claim that raising your hand in class is sort of means that you uh like oh well that was all of seventh grade was that you raised your hand that one time okay you're done <laughs> you know like um and uh and so uh so that but it, but it is an important piece of it and so i don't know that, that perspective was quite was quite nice for me i think yeah
1: I think that's a beautiful metaphor um it it captures nicely the sense of uh conversation of one bit of contribution of the the role of you know getting acceptance and not viewing that as the end of a conversation i think so i think that's a that's a really nice metaphor those are all the questions i have young is was there anything that uh is there an aspect of your life that we didn't cover that you feel uh we should talk about Is particularly representative
2: no, I don't think I'm interesting enough for that. <laughs>
0: oh, I strongly disagree. <laughs> um, I um
2: I, uh, no, I'm I'm it was it, this was, it was it's lovely to be it's lovely to be. Um, you know, I think I think maybe the thing that's important to this particular conversation is is the reaction I had upon you asking if I would be part of it which is um, how in the hell am I even remotely in the appropriate like caliber of person for 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 Dhruv to include me <laughs> in, in these discussions among, you know, like you're looking at these lists and there's like in, in Timnit and so forth. And it's like, these people are movers and shakers and important and I am not. And uh, I'm not saying if I am or if I'm not, but I think that in terms of just like um, being very public about some notion of uh, um, either humility or imposter syndrome, um, (laughs) but but, but that it exists, and uh, and I suspect it's probably on some level healthy to make sure that it stays that way.
1: Yeah, and I just want to add, like you know, I the reason why we created this series and i'm continuing it is because we both sort of were watching this almost fetishization of genius and rock star that happens in our community and it felt unhealthy and so like which is not to say the people we reach out to aren't well established or you know creative people in their own regard but it is to get beyond that yes yes there are people who do good work but if you just look at them, they talk to them. They're people. They have their own struggles, views, perspectives, beliefs, failures, successes, and I, so. The point here was, I, you know, I, I think of you as someone, a representative who is interesting, who's thoughtful, who will likely have things to say beyond what I can gain from your CV, um, and sort of that was the that was the point. Here. So I I appreciate, I appreciate you. That. Taking the time and actually actually engaging with the process and giving us answers that give us an insight into your life. So, thank yeah, you for that.
2: Yeah, of, of course. I'm happy to be a very open book. Um, and if and if any and maybe at some point I'll put together a longer list of failings to share, so that uh, so that other people can, can 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 see can see the full story for for themselves. Yeah, I think
1: I'll look forward to that. I I I, I think other people will find value in that as well. Thank you. This was a wonderful yeah. conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye.